We are talking about what on earth am I here for? And really, I'm trusting that today you will get a re greater revelation of who you are in God. I um, specifically want to talk about worship today. Worship, and the subtitle to this is, You Were Planned for God's Pleasure. You know what one of the greatest delights I have in life is when I have been out, I don't know, doing anything, shopping or anything like that, and I come home and my husband is in the room and he, he wasn't expecting me at that time or something and it gives him a bit of a surprise as I walk into the room and I see him turn around and I see his face light up with delight when he sees me. Like, oh, there's my wife. And, you know, I just, I just, I want to just go away and come back just to have that happen over and over again. You know, it's just, it's so thrilling when someone is pleased with you. It's so thrilling when someone just delights in you. Those of you who have children, you know how it is when, when they're little and, and when they're old, but mostly when they're little, that, that when you, you, when you walk into the room and they turn and, ah, oh, mommy's home. And it's just like that, the delight that comes on their faces. And you know what it does for one's heart to be delighted in? I feel like this is just a small taste of some of God's delight in you. That you know when you open your Bible, when you turn your attention to him, when you start thinking about him, it's like you walk into the room. And somehow on God's face, if we could see it, you would see the delight of heaven. You would see him just radiating love and life to you. Something I heard yesterday would just thrilled me, just thrilled me. You know the book of Genesis, and you know the story how Adam, God made Adam and Eve, and it was so beautiful and so fantastic and so glorious. And then Adam decided he wanted to, Adam and Eve both decided they wanted to kind of live their own way, and they, they sinned. And have you ever thought about it like this? That it talks about all, after all of creation, that God rested. And he was in this place of rest. And if you can imagine with me that out of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve just suddenly, you know, choosing to do things their way, there came this cry of anguish. Adam has sinned. Adam has sinned. This cry of anguish out of that garden. And for a moment, I want you to think of God just, just rising up out of his state of rest and saying, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And as I heard yesterday, it just thrilled me that we serve a God who will not rest if one of his children is out of his will, if one of his children is out of his presence, that we serve a God that will cry out, David, where are you? Bumi, where are you? That he will not stop. He will not stop until every one of his children are. And I, I feel like we miss so often how this relationship with God was not meant to be duty and, you know, kind of just ticking the boxes and just kind of doing what's right. That this relationship with God was meant to be one of mutual pleasure. That God's delight in you is overwhelming. 
And when we think about worship, worship is not really like, oh, I have to do these things to please God. I have to do these things to kind of be a good Christian. Oh, I have to sing these songs. Oh, I have to do this Christian service. That worship is so much more than that. Worship is a response to the delight of God. It's that when, when, when we see the delight of, of, that God has for us on his face, our return is to delight in him. When we see his love for us, our response is to love him back. That worship is in fact a response to the glory of God. Worship is in fact a response to his love. Worship is us receiving his love and then reflecting it back to him. Have you ever been in a place where a magnificent person walked in the room? What happened in your heart? I know, I see some raised eyebrows here that, you know, they're thinking about the first time they saw who is now their spouse. You know, just the, if you're married, think about that. You know, the... The first time you just saw that magnificent person, what happened in your heart? It's like you, you, you didn't have to work hard. You didn't have to work hard to say, oh, my word, that you look so great. Or, oh, my word, you're so magnificent. Well, I don't know if you were, use the word magnificent, but, you know, you, you just the natural response is to delight in that. If you stood before a beautiful work of art, you walked into the room, and there it was on the wall, and and you know, spontaneously out of your mouth, oh my word, that is magnificent. Anthropologists, I know a few, they're interesting people, but they tell us this. Those are people who study human beings. They tell us this, that human beings at their very heart are creatures of worship. That throughout history, every culture has created worship. So they, they have invented religious systems in which they worship something, or sometimes many things, because the human heart is one of worship. Being human means we worship something. And many societies, many societies have chosen not to worship the God we worship. They've chosen to worship other gods, I think they're mistaken. But they, many societies, modern societies today, have chosen not to worship any supernatural being. But here's the thing. Because we're human, they still worship. Kim Kardashian has 125,000 I mean, sorry, 125 million followers on Instagram. What is that? What is that? I propose to you it's worship. It's the human heart choosing to worship. That if we don't worship God, we will worship something. Cristiano Ronaldo has 150 million but at its essence, humans beings worship. If we don't worship God, we're going to worship something. You'll worship your career. You'll worship that person. You'll worship a movie star. You'll worship a singer. You'll worship some athlete. You will worship something. The human heart cannot not worship. Exalt something. 
esteem something, look up to something, sacrifice for something bigger than themselves. The human heart is made for worship. The question is no longer, do you worship? The question is, what do you worship? What do you worship? And why this is so important to answer well is that what we esteem, what we admire, we emulate. So that means that whatever you admire, put up on a pedestal, worship, think of as great, sacrifice for, um, esteem, that is the thing that is going to begin to mold you. It's going to begin to adjust the way you live. It's going to begin to change the way you think. And so what you worship is so important because it will influence so much of your life. There is a scripture that Jesus spoke. It's in Mark 12. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. But he was, he was answering a question of the people around him, and I'll just read it to you. It starts like this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? In other words, he's saying, how would you sum up the whole Bible? How would you sum up all of our faith? How would, if you had to put in one sentence everything I need to know about God, what would that be? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He didn't use the word worship, but what's he describing? He's describing a life of worship to God. A life where God is the center, exalted and esteemed. And all of us, all of who we are, is orientated towards worship and honor of that God. The most important, the essence, the essence of everything we read, teach, live is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Not because he de he's a demanding and horrible God. Not because he's a, a fierce leader who will punish you if you don't. But because he is love itself. And he has poured out on us so much that in response to us, we have no choice but to turn to him and say, God, have us all. Have all of us. Have all of us. It's, it kind of has three categories. When Jesus told us to love the Lord our God with all those things, it kind of falls into three categories. And the first category is your heart and your soul. It's kind of like the Bible interchanges those two terms so we can kind of lump the two together. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, he's kind of talking about your affections, your emotions, that part of you inside that feels stuff. And there's some men saying, she doesn't know me, I don't feel anything. I am a rock. <laughs> then I want to just give this to you. How many of you have watched a soccer match, have watched a rugby game, have watched your favorite cricket team? And let me tell you, when your favorite team wins, what bursts out of your heart? Praise, exaltation, emotion, appreciation, affection. 
everyone worships something. And I want to say to you that on the, the great soccer game, rugby game, cricket game of life, hockey game, you ch- pick your one. On the great game of life, Jesus went out single-handedly and he took on the, the devil's team with all its demons, all its anger, with all its brokenness, with all its crime, with all its hatred, with all its pain, with all its misery. He went out and he beat them. And then he walked off that field bloodied, lacerated, and he took the cup and he handed it to you. And he said, because I love you. So Mike is not in the, in the room, but that is, I looked hard. You know how Mike loves Arsenal? So I looked hard for a picture of Arsenal winning a game. I couldn't find one. You can go and tell him. I looked, I looked. I mean, I just, hours and hours of trolling through the the internet. I just couldn't find a picture of Arsenal winning and the people celebrating. So this is Manchester City beating Arsenal 3-1. Just saying, just saying, just saying. So, So he's not here to defend himself, which if he were here, he would be giving me lip. But you can, you can go and tell him. You can go and tell him that you saw with your own eyes. Arsenal lose. But the bottom line is this. The bottom line is this. He said every one of us has emotional, affectionate responses. And I want to propose to you that the next time someone you really love walks in the room and you notice your affectionate response to them, that you would say, God, this is how. I'm go- this is what I'm going to give to you next time you and I are together. The next time your team wins and you spontaneously leap off the couch with your hands in the air, I want you to notice this is how I show affection. This is sh- how I show joy. And the next time I'm in worship, God, I'm going to give it a bash. I'm going to see what happens. If you're the kind of person that... that your team wins and you just turn politely to the person next to you and say, oh, that was good, then by all means, you just carry on doing that. However you show affection, the one of the ways we worship with our heart and our soul is that we express our affection to God. We express our affection to God. The way you show affection in your everyday life, let that be transferred, not transferred, in addition, because I want you to show affection everywhere, but, but, but I, want, I want you to feel the joy of receiving God's love and in, in return, having the freedom and the life to express back to Him your love and devotion to Him. The first time I raised my hands in worship, the first time I raised my hands in worship, honestly, it took me about five minutes. The song was one, one you know, it was one of those like glory songs, you know, when, where you feel the majesty of God around and you know, you're like, oh, this would be great to raise my hands. It took me about five minutes because I had to look around at everyone, make sure that no one was looking at me. And then I had to notice who else was raising their hands. And you know, like, like if everyone around me was raising their hands, it would have been super easy, but no one was raising their hands. So I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I just closed my eyes because I didn't want to see what anyone around me was doing. And I just stuck my hands in the air and then I put them down again. 
And I was like, oh, great, I didn't die. Oh, great, I didn't die. I mean, I feel like that was the first time I kind of like expressed emotion to God. But what I noticed is that the more that I did that, the more that, hey, Mike, nice picture. (laughs) You know, I noticed that the more I did that, the freer I got. You know, I didn't just get freer in worship. I got freer in my relationship with people. I got freer in my ability to just love people, to just be a whole and unashamed and like to say to Anneli, gosh, Anneli, you look so great today. You know, to be able to just express affection. So I want to invite you into the glorious journey of expressing your affection to God. There's only one who is worthy of all your affection. I mean, I want you, like I said, to be affectionate everywhere. But there is a God who is so glorious, who is so incredible, who won the victory so completely, who is so magnificent. The Bible talks about people in his presence seeing him. They had no choice but to fall on their faces, trembling, because of the magnificence of who he is. The magnificence of who he is. There's a psalm. In the Bible, Psalm 96, and the message version says it in a way that just really thrills me. It says, for God is great and worth a thousand hallelujahs. Royal splendor radiates from him. A powerful beauty sets him apart. Bravo, God, bravo. Everyone join in the great shout. Encore, do it again, God. In awe before the beauty, in awe before the might. Bring gifts and celebrate. Bow before the beauty of God. Then to your knees, everyone worship. Everyone worship. This is the natural response to a revelation of God the natural response to the revelation of God. Worship is not only expressing your affection to God, but worship is also focusing your attention on God. It says we love God with all our heart and soul and our mind. God is not afraid of your mind. God is not afraid of the difficult questions of Christianity. God's not afraid of um, even people who don't know God questioning you about your faith because, because at the essence, Christianity is true. It can stand up to rigorous debate. It, can, it, can, it won't fall under the doubt and unbelief of people around you. It stands true, whole. It is It is the most reasonable answer to the human experience. Natural biology, evolutionary biology, can explain a lot of things. And I don't for one second believe that it negates God. Not for one second. I believe that there is an intelligent God could make this world any way he wants to. If he wants to have one species go to another, he can do that. But here's the question, is that evolutionary biology cannot explain the existence in the human experience of concepts like justice. It cannot explain concepts like beauty. Why? 
because they serve no purpose in the survival of the fittest. They serve no purpose there, and yet, unrelentingly, the human heart gravitates towards these things. It gravitates towards beauty. It serves no purpose. Why would the beauty of a sunset mean anything? As long as you can kill your neighbor, be stronger, and have more children. And therefore, that we, we live in a Christianity that has answers, that explains existence. And here, we can give all of our mind, our intellectual pursuits to God, and we can allow him to use those in a way that advances science, advances your workplace, brings truth into your environments. We have a mind because God gave us a mind, and he wants it at his disposal. So part of worshiping God is focusing our attention, our intellectual attention on God. It means thinking about him, thinking about these things, noticing him, noticing what he's doing, why he's doing it. As I said before, worship is always a response to God. It's not something we initiate. It's something we do in response to who he is. We love him because he first loved us, but also we pay him attention because he pays us attention. Psalm 139 says, you know when I leave and when I get back, I'm never out of your sight. Imagine a God who knows everything about you more than you do. Imagine a God who sees everything of your life. Imagine a God who sees you're coming in and you're going out. That's a glorious, glorious, glorious thought. It's also a scary, scary, scary thought. <laughs> but God pays attention to your life. He knows your fears, he knows your worry, he knows your anxiety, he knows everything about you. And in return, we turn our attention to him. Psalm, Psalm Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What's it saying? It's saying that when we have our attention on the problems and the, the difficulties of life, we are prone to worry and anxiety. And the antidote for worry and anxiety is worship. It's to turn our attention to God. It's to give him his attention, to notice what he's doing, to see the good and the great and the beautiful and glorious things that are around us. And we enter his courts with thanksgiving. We, with thanksgiving, we thank him for who he is. We notice him. And worry and anxiety fades away because in light of this good God, what do we have to worry about? How do we focus our attention on God in practical ways? Luke 5 tells about how Jesus made a habit of going to lonely places to pray. Now, in my house, there are not many lonely places. You know, people walk in in every room all the time. So I have to work at that lonely place thing. But what he's saying is that in order to have our attention on God, part of that is to set aside a time and a place to put our attention on him. What does that mean? It means sometime in the day, finding an allocated time to be with him, to read your Bible, to pray, to think about him, to ask him questions, to hear from him. For me, in my bedroom, I have this 
blue armchair that I just love. It matches my curtains perfectly, and outside my window is lavender. So it's just, you know, it's purpley blue all the way. It's lovely. I sit in this chair, and on winter days, the sun shines through, and I just feel like God's wrapping me in his arms. On a summer day, the window's open, and the lavender smell wafts in. I just feel like I'm in heaven. I sit in this chair, and in that chair, that's my God chair. I read my Bible, I pray. I feel like, you know, when I sit down in that chair, I feel like God sits down next to me. Him and I, we have a date every day. And I want to invite you to find something like that. You may not have a blue chair with lavender growing out your side your window, but you know, you've got some place in your house or you know, at work or in your car. There, there's a place that you can find on a daily basis to make your God place. You can make a time every day to make that your God time, to keep your attention centered on Him. The last thing is that we worship God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. For some of, that, some of us, that's more than others, you know. <laughs> some of us have more muscles than others. But really what it's about is that giving our abilities to God, allow, using our abilities to worship Him. Worship is using your abilities for God. Using your abilities for Him. When you go out and you write that report so excellently, that's worship. When you do your work in response to God with the knowledge of His presence and for His glory, your work becomes worship. Believe it or not, as, you know, years back where I had young children and I was staying at home, when I, when I would clean those baths, how is it about baths that they just keep on getting dirty? You know, it's just, you clean them one day, then you've got to clean them the next day and the next day, and it just keeps happening. I mean, it's just, it's not only the baths, you know, it's the toilets, it's the sinks, it's the floors, it's just like, what is that? But, you know, when I was cleaning them, I, I, I could just sit around and think, gosh, you know, here we go again. I'm just, you know, irritated, angry. Or I could say, God, I'm cleaning this bath for you, for your glory. I don't know how you got glory out of it, but I'm sure you did. <laughs> but, you know, whatever you do, sitting in that meeting and answering that obnoxious client in a way that, that stills his fears and, helps the deal go through. You know, speaking and loving that person who's in your care, if you're a nurse or a doctor, in a way that speaks not just about their health, but speaks about God's love for them. This is worship. Going about your daily activities in a way that glorifies God and reveals Him to others, this is worship. This is worship. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, describing how God's mercy pours out on us abilities. You, th you thought you were good at music just because you trained hard. No, you're good at music because God, God gave you capacity for that. You're good at maths. You're good at loving people. You're good at all these kind of things because God gave you capacity. In light of his mercy, present all of your life as a living sacrifice to him. 
In other words, giving back to him what he has given. His abilities he's poured out in me, I give them back to him in worship as I go about my daily tasks. In the message, it says it a bit differently. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Work becomes worship when you do it for God's glory and perform it with an awareness of his presence, as Rick Warren says. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I want to pray for every person here. Lord God, I thank you that you are good and you are faithful that your glory is never-ending. I, like, I feel like many of you, when you think about your workplace, I feel like it's quite an um, anxiety-filled place, or it's a, it's a place of tension and stress, and I feel like God right now wants to break that for you. I feel like he wants to bring an anointing of wisdom and grace and power to break through that. And if that's you and you feel like, I just need more of God's presence in my everyday life, not, not my church life, not my religious life, but in my life where I'm trying to, to build a career or do something of significance, in that place, I just need God's power to help me. I'm at a dead end or I'm, at, I'm in a confusing place or I'm just at a place that I know that I need more. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hands because I feel like God has that for you. Thank you, Lord. Just raise your hands as a sign of receiving something from Jesus. Lord, thank you for every person with their hands raised, Lord God. Father God, we, we know that in your, in your mercy, you have whatever they need. And Lord God, right now, I just speak over these people. Just power, power to make a difference. I speak power to change things. I speak wisdom that breaks through the mediocreness of their environments. I, if anyone wants to go and lay hands on them and the leaders, please do that. I feel like, I feel like right now God's speaking to you and saying, you are not alone, my son. You are not alone, my daughter, for I am indeed giving you what you need. I've, I feel like even now, for some of you, he's rewiring your brain. He's giving you like a, an understanding that you didn't have before. He's placing thoughts. He's placing thoughts in your mind. He's placing ideas in your mind. For some of you, there's a, there's a compassion coming on you for the people around you. Just receive that. Receive that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for a favor that surrounds them, that even people who don't like them are going to start liking them, Lord God. I just, I just speak over these, the testimony of the Lord our God is with you, that he will go before you, he will, he will rout the enemy, he will make a way for you, he will deliver you. He will use you as the commander of his armies, of his hosts of heaven, to bring about glory and grace in that place. Glory and grace in that place. Thank you, Lord. 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 Come and fill them, Lord. Right now, you'll just feel a peace filling you. I just want you to take that peace. Just take that peace. That's God saying it's going to be okay. I'm with you. And I'm going to ask you is in your work environment that you begin to cultivate worship there. I don't know what that means for you, but, but I know in general it means keeping your attention focused on God. It means allowing the revelation and the knowledge of his presence 
to be with you, relying on him, putting your hope in him. You know, the one point I left out on keeping our attention on God was praying continuously. And really, what this concept is, is that we set up reminders in our daily lives to pull our attention away from the mundane to the Jesus stuff. So maybe you need to even like set a reminder on your phone to, to buzz every hour or so to remind you of the goodness of God. Or maybe you have to folk, uh, have scriptures up in different places. Maybe you have to set up things that will remind you that you can focus on Him. So thank you, Lord. I just pray a blessing over every person.